the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome mm. back to the post-Sunday blues uh, preaching post-mortem That's with right. myself, Emily Anger, who is interviewing, <laughs> interviewing my husband, James Hello, Anger. Hello, I am Tom Brady. I am fit to be at your service today. (laughs) Yeah, Jim is um, contemplating the fact that he and Tom Brady are the same age, same level Mm -hmm. of accomplishment. More or less. Yeah, yeah. So we are really having a post-Sunday blues moment here on a (laughs) Monday. Uh, The post-Super Bowl blues. Very true. The best Super Bowl ever. Hmm. The muffaladas were good. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah. Jim Jim upped his Super Bowl party game because no one else was here so he made he made muffaladas uh the the hometown tradition classic new orleans sandwich yeah jesse spit it out because <laughs> she had stand olives and was horrified yeah yeah <laughs> that's the true olive salad but um no i i really enjoyed it i enjoyed not actually cooking for us last night too yeah and i appreciate the implication um where you intimated that because we didn't have other people here, I decided to up my food game. <laughs> sure. It probably You're was, welcome. It probably was a coincidence, I will <laughs> admit. Um, yeah, anyways. We're here at Stor- Call It Stormy Monday. We're here on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Kind of looking back at yesterday's stormy Sunday. It was a snowstorm Sunday. It was. Um, nice and toasty. <laughs> yes. You walked to church and uh, laid out what was a snowy... Sunday morning, like COVID edition. Right. So it was Skeleton Crew. It was just me, Eric, and Jake. Eric, our executive pastor. Jake, our sound team leader, volunteer. We had told our other volunteers and musicians to stay home because it was a snow day. So no music, no bells and whistles, just us with a stripped down service. And Emmy made the comment that, well, because we're not regathered and we're just doing live streaming, that means that you still have to go and do a service. And I was like, yeah, that's a silver lining of this whole process that we can still do church even on a snow day when we cancel. All right. And I was like, if we if it was regular, regular uh, life, a snow day would mean that we didn't have any anywhere to go, nowhere to rush, staying in our pajamas and fuzzy slippers all morning long. But alas. Thanks, coronavirus. And that's some <laughs> hashtag real talk pastor spouse right there. Yeah. Our kids had the same feeling when they had to do virtual school when it was storming. Yep. <laughs> so we're, we're all in this together. Um, speaking of all in this together, you made a joke at the beginning of the service that you were going to double your sermon length uh, to make up for the fact that we were missing liturgy and mm-hmm. singing. And uh, Jesse looked at me and said, is that true, mom? <laughs> panic in her voice she wishes yeah um but no we did we did get you standing up front and delivering the word of god we were um in psalm 30 Mm -hmm. um a kind of jump from what we usually are doing what what was the uh what was the heart behind this message in the call it stormy monday section why this sermon why this sunday right so liberty collingswood we are just finishing up a long sermon series on community 
And then we're going to have a Lenten sermon series starting in a couple of weeks talking about issues related to racial injustice in our country. So we have these two Sundays, and it's an informal tradition at Liberty Collingswood. When we have some of these odd sections of time to fill, we will go to the Psalms. And I congratulate the person that had the idea to go in this direction, uh, namely myself, because I really enjoy the Psalter. It's in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture is 150 Psalms, and they are poems of deep resonance for me. I love the Psalms in general. They're poetic, they're emotive, they're musical. So more often than not here in the church in the West, we'll just read Psalms, whether to ourselves or out loud. But originally in ancient times, those Psalms were sung and both in synagogues and some traditions here in the church, the Psalms are still sung and you can feel the power of God's word set to music. And you've experienced a few times the metrical psalm tradition in the Scottish church. I was there right, right. back in the day in college for a semester. All we sang without musical accompaniment every week for all the weeks that I was there were psalms. Yeah, it was hauntingly beautiful. And um, just experiencing that different form of worship, uh, there, there's a lot of talk about the different forms of worship and how mm-hmm. they all kind of speak and bring you to a different place with God. I think that that Scottish tradition of hymn singing, psalm singing, um, is one of those where it focuses your heart and your attention in, in a different way. Um, singing these these psalms, these words, um, there's something about music that like brings to a, a, new, a new life, a new depth um, to familiar words. Very much so, and, and it's just occurring to me that for the birth plan that you had put together for our first child, the plan was to have Scottish metrical sums being sung on <laughs> sung on CD while, that while you were in labor. That was very aspirational. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't realize that I was going to need 36 hours worth of yeah. metrical sums. I don't even know sung. if we broke out music at all. I don't think it happened. The birth, <laughs> birth plans are first-time parents. It's a thought that counts. Yeah. And I also love sums too because you don't have to do a ton of work with interpretation. Some Old Testament books, some Old Testament stories are kind of rough to figure out how to bridge ancient contexts with modern. But for the most part, Psalms, they speak from the heart about one's relationship with God and how circumstances are either good or bad around a person. So I love going back to the Psalms because I don't have to do too much heavy lifting in terms of interpretation to be able to serve something to the congregation. The classic examples in the other direction, David, when he killed a hundred Philistines and piled their foreskins all together, right? you go and do likewise. Yeah, that's a great sermon. That will take some interpretive work Is that to get across. Week? That will be next week sometime. <laughs> right. And then why this psalm specifically? This is an old sermon that I preached and... I don't really remember the sermons that I preach and the notes that I have are pretty sketchy about them. So I went back to sermon titles of old Psalms that I had preached from thinking that, hey, I can save a little bit of time in terms of prepping for the Lenten series if I go back to old sermons. And the sermon title, which is ironic because I really spend very little time on sermon titles. I think it's sort of bogus and absurd how preachers can agonize over sermon titles. Nobody cares. But I saw this sermon title, Help! Exclamation point, which is a reference to the Beatles song. And I thought, hey, I need help. We need help. Why don't I go back and look at this psalm and this sermon and see if there is a new message that I could preach from this text. 
and I landed on it because we're still in a season when we're down, we're beaten up, we're bruised, pandemic, political season, and we need a lot of help. Right. I can, um, I kind of hear that as you are um, unfolding a lot of the place that we're at um, here in this present day. People talk about it all the time, but it does feel like um, you use the term vision poor, a time when you were staring at the empty sanctuary, and this week was right. no exception. Um, Emptier than usual lately, at least. Right, where it just, it can feel really down to like look at your, the, the endless weeks ahead with um, things streamlined and cut down. Um, there's certainly some level of hopefulness now, but um, even for me personally, things like, you know, I'm a newborn photographer. Nobody wants some random person in their house um, right after they've had a newborn. So looking yeah, at the, <laughs> looking at the, uh, the path forward, I think we all are in this place of needing to hear, um, needing to hear we're needing to call out for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're there for sure. Moving to the next section, Sun Studios, you have the BB King James Version. And speaking of this Psalm 30, I know that you're saying that you dug it out from the, um, from the, the Rolodex. Yeah. Um, I am surprised that you didn't like jump through and you don't have that mental Rolodex of, of places to pull or old sermons to pull. But um, let's what what about this specific passage? What um, in Psalm 30 was speaking to you? Right. So there are some psalms that have a lot of different notes that are struck and sung in the context of a given psalm. In this case, it's kind of the opposite, where you have verse after verse after verse of David saying to God, hey, I really need help. So it was the simplicity of this psalm that struck me. And I tried to get this across. It wasn't a super complicated sermon, didn't have tons of different moving parts to it. One thing that didn't come up in the sermon that I'd be happy to mention here in the podcast is that this is a psalm of David we see in the superscription, the title of the psalm. But not only that, a song at the dedication of the temple. So in Israel's history, this psalm specifically, crying to God for help, is given in the context of seeking God's presence at the temple, which in ancient times was the place on earth where the dwelling of God is with humanity. So I'm fascinated to think about the wedded ideas of needing God's help and God's presence. And one of the things I love about being a Christian is that not necessarily every second of every day, but as we follow Jesus, we are able to experience the kind presence of God in our lives. So it's not just us trying to make a way forward. And that song comes out loud and clear here in Psalm 30. Right. It kind of also makes me think, though, like w the dedication of the temple, like we are not physically in the building. So it's hard for you to speak, um, speak that message when we, we aren't celebrating the temple. We're in our individual homes and mm -hmm. in different spaces. We've been talking about community or you have in your sermon series. Um, so we're, we've been having to struggle to find ways to be that united church that exists without physical gathering. Um, so one thing real quick about that um, yeah. is a part of the sermon that I cut from the first version that I preached in 2015 or 2016, right. I think it was 2015, was talking about how Jesus is the embodiment and the fulfillment yeah. of the temple of God, where the temple of God, uh, Christians believe in the ongoing unfolding nature of the scriptures is actually fulfilled in Jesus so that as Jesus is crucified, resurrected and ascended, the spirit given, uh, the presence of God 
is a foot upon this earth, not in the temple in one location, but by the spirit in many different locations, which to me is a comfort, but then also whether scriptures or otherwise, there is an awareness of both presence and absence. And since pandemic started, we've been registering and feeling absences in deeper ways. Right, and that kind of is that next section, muddying the water, as you call it, where you're thinking about the things that are difficult as you construct the sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to address a new context. You, you're saying that you pulled this from the archives. Um, how did that feel as you like re-looked at a message and um, had to had to recontextualize. Right, so looking at this old sermon in particular of mine is a little bit like when you look at yourself, the photos in the photo album when you're a teenager, when you think on one hand, hey, I used to be pretty awesome, but then on the other hand, oh, that was a little bit awkward. So (laughs) as I develop as a preacher, and I hope that as I get older, I'm, I'm getting better as a preacher, like I try to pay attention to craft, and at 43, going on 44, I think I'll be a better preacher at 47 going on 48 than I am now, or at least I hope, and ongoing. How did the sermon change in this version and draft from the previous one? This is streamlined, so there were a lot more moving parts in the previous sermon. I felt like it felt rushed to me where I was rushing to contain everything that I could possibly think about as it could relate to this text or the context. And so it felt like too much of a toothpaste squeeze. I feel like I've spent less time talking in more depth about things this sermon than last time. And I continue to be aware of the fact that we don't have huge attention spans. And I feel for you week after week being here at home when I'm at Holy Trinity, but you're having to wrangle for adolescents and pre-adolescents each week to watch a live stream they're so excited to see their dad they're so excited to see (laughs) to see their dad they're actually great kids they really are trying but um they do start to wander right trying is the operative word there last sunday before this one i was back at home for network sunday because the service wasn't live streamed but pre-recorded and i got a taste all over again of what it's like to worship with the family on a screen as our kids, towards the end of Steve Huber's sermon, were throwing pillows at each other. Right, <laughs> that was quite a fun literally one. bouncing off the walls. Yes. Um, I thought to myself, I should preach shorter. <laughs> it does help uh, the, the focuser. And we do, yeah, I think about this a lot. Our, our generation, our, my, not our generation, our, this next generation, the TikTok generation. Right. How attention spans kind of drift. But I am being influenced by that, too. I can barely stay awake sometimes listening, not listening to your sermons, but <laughs> following along on a news program or a longer yeah. drama. Um, if it's not holding my attention, then I just let my attention go somewhere else. So that's a, it's interesting that five years could do that. Yeah, I feel it. And another way that this sermon has changed since last time I preached it, in the middle of the sermon, I talked and asked questions about what the good life is, what the purpose is for us as human beings, uh, having courage to ask those questions. And I gave a little bit of a tour. I, I hope the diehard fans appreciated the references to both ancient and modern philosophical schools of ethics that I put forward in the sermon then, and also mentioned now. So ancient times, what does it mean for us to be human beings? Well, we've got to be people of moderation, or we've got to be people of resignation, like the Stoics, or we've just got to have the fun that we're able to have in a given period. 
like the Epicureans, or we need to maximize, this is more modern times, maximize the good, we need to do our duty, we need to follow a certain set of virtues, or be pragmatists. What I added this time around was that over the past five years or so, increasingly it seems that one of the chief values in our culture is an expressive individualism, where if you want to be a modern person, you need to be yourself and express which is fine as far as it goes, but I'm not sure how far it goes. Because to me, and we were talking about this at a Liberty Pastors cohort this past week, once we express ourselves, then what? Where do we go? What is the purpose of us? At lunch today, I was reading about bioethical panels that have had to kick into action during COVID because you're constantly triaging. And this is especially earlier on, Manhattan was a case study in New York where you only have a certain amount of ventilators and ventilator teams, how do you ethically say these people get the ventilators, but these people don't? And the schools of ethical thought that people were falling back on were those classical categories, whether from earlier modern or ancient. But expressive individualism won't give you an answer about to whom you should give a ventilator. So I wanted to just engage with that a little bit. And one of the ways that I think we've grown as a culture too, is that in 2015, when I preached the sermon, I was talking about, hey, we need to realize that what we have in our, life by, in our lives by way of good, some of it we've earned, but it comes to us through an inter interconnectedness of historical factors that we can't all claim credit for. Um, I think conversations about systemic racial injustice have better highlighted that some, some good things we have in our lives don't come from ourselves. So I reference that to say we're not these totally independent, self-sufficient creatures. We are dependent upon context. We're dependent upon each other. And we're also dependent upon God. So trying to turn ourselves Godward as well. Right. It, it, it did seem like a, a call to hope, a call to a Jesus at the end that... Um, that would bring bring a certain light to the dark moment that we're in. Um, like, or literally, the psalm says, um, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Um, you talked a little bit about about having nightmares as a kid. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about our own kids with, with nightmares. And some of the, it just feels like a nightmare uh, that we're, we're in, um, one that we, some of us have talked about it feeling like a bad movie. Right. Um, we're, we're not in a space that it feels like a dream. Um, one of our kids was under uh, sedation this week in the ER, and um, he was saying over and over again, is this a dream? Is this a dream? And I kind of huh. sometimes wake up from COVID days feeling like it's a dream. So there's yeah. a little bit of the context here of saying joy comes with the morning as we look at the sunlight after a storm, whereas I think of my my girls um struggling with nightmares and then in the morning they're bright and happy there's there's an image in the scripture that feels really powerful and so that's verse 5 of psalm 30 i'm you're referencing there for his angers but for a moment favor for a lifetime weeping may tarry for the night joy comes with the morning i gravitated towards that verse as well uh, i love the contrasts anger to favor moment lifetime weeping joy night morning but the challenge for me preaching a psalm like this at the same time is that David is resolved by the end of the psalm. 
and it seems like things are okay. But in our lives, yeah, it seems like right now with pandemic, it's a combination of horror story plus Groundhog Day. So right. a surreal comedy that just keeps replaying. Ooh, that's a nut. that we should write that down as a movie script. Write it down, somebody. <laughs> Helen Wolves, I know you're out there. So how do we give this psalm to people as solid and dependable hope when we are still very much in process in terms of calling out to God and seeing and feeling God's help? One of the ways that I sought to engage this tension is to find it within the psalm itself, where David at one point says, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? David's saying, I might die, I might not make it. What's the point in all of this? Which is, I think, both an ancient and a modern impulse. But right. then at the end, he says, I'm going to give thanks to you forever. Right. So David, which is it? And to me, that's a tension that's resolved by Jesus, the true human, the true Israelite, on the cross where he died and rose again for us. And we are able to receive even better news than what David experienced if David asks what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit the Apostle Paul after Jesus is able to say for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain so we're able to play out the rest of the movie knowing that it's a process knowing that there are ups and downs but also knowing how it ends right you just spoiled the ending of our of our Groundhog Day horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I really feel like it doesn't. It that that movie doesn't have a happy ending. Well, we'd have to franchise it. So <laughs> okay. episodes two, three, four, and five would be very dire. Right, but then right. six would be good, and then seven would just be the cash in. No, but like we are hoping that in real life we we have this level of hope um, that you're talking about. David really in the psalm I think writes in such a resonant way. Um, moving on to the bar band cover tune section mm. where we're examining though the references that you pull out I feel like um, you were using references that um, that kind of paralleled David's um, voice of struggle um, can you talk a little bit about some of your references and why why were you pulling from these things Sure. So I pulled from music and literature for references this week, as I want to do. Hey, how about half Super Bowl halftime show <laughs> yesterday? I heard he paid to get on. <laughs> Thanks, Pepsi. Yeah. I'm not sure if The Weeknd is a big fan of Charles Mingus, but that's the one that I referenced on Sunday. Mingus, the 20th century bass player, jazz, and composer on an album of his from the 1950s on Atlantic, I didn't pronounce it on Sunday morning because it's a it's a hard album to say. Picacanthropus erectus. I was worried that I couldn't get through <laughs> without stumbling. I've Pica disappointed in you. <laughs> and I was worried about not getting through erectus without giggling. But uh, <laughs> right. you just did. I did it. You're the one that giggled there, baby. Okay. But he, in his liner notes, talks about the contradictions of humanity where we are so powerful and yet we're so prideful and as humanity ascends upward it also puts others down and as we seek to become more perfect humans we actually become more bestial here's the quote how proud he was considering himself the first to ascend from all forests talking about human beings pounding his chest and preaching his superiority over the animals still in a prone position overcome with self-esteem he goes out to rule the world if not the universe but both his own failure to realize the inevitable emancipation of those he sought to enslave Mingus is speaking from somebody in minority culture here. 
and his greed in attempting to stand on false security deny him not only the right of ever being a man, but finally to destroy him completely. And so if we listen to our own prophets, so to speak, in culture, we find some of the contradictions in humanity that I think are woven into the scriptures themselves. And one of the reasons that I try to pull from various sources as it relates to the scriptures is, you know, people read, listen, live more widely than just the Bible. Right. And I want to have some apprehension of that scope, preaching widely myself so that people will trust that, hey, the scriptures in the Christian story really is as wide as my own experience. And why not, in the case of Mingus, use music as a prism through which we can examine some of these things. Likewise, Peter Heller, a writer who wrote a book called The Painter, set in the Southwest, M. you have made fun of me before, I'm sure you will do it again right now, that I tend to gravitate towards novels written by bitter, drunken, middle-aged white men. Oh, yes, yes, you do. I, why, why is that? It just stretches my boundaries <laughs> and gets me to experience different lives besides my own. Right, right. I, I hadn't yet read a book by an author in such a condition set in the Southwest. So this was entirely new experience I'm not even sure if that's true. We me. lived in Lubbock, you know. That, that is true. <laughs> but there's a great image. So The Painter is a book about a man trying to outrun his past who falls into a, rela a relationship with somebody that he loves dearly. And there's a great image of love and grace that occurs towards the end of the novel where the main character remarks, she drank her coffee and never took her eyes off me. It was odd. I did not feel pinned and wriggling on a wall, scrutinized, never with her. I felt held and fully seen. And that last phrase, I felt held and fully seen. And I appreciate how I feel this way before Aww, you. Stop. And that's how God looks at us through Jesus, because Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We are able to be held in love while being fully seen at the same time. And that takes grace. And I love literary detail that can get at if grace is one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful and powerful thing in the entire world. Literary detail can sometimes get us there. Before the Super Bowl yesterday, I was reading an essay about George Orwell, where the author was saying that in Orwell's nonfiction, he's actually more writerly and understands better than in his fiction, which can be flattened and not super interesting big ideas but you lose a particular but it's in the writerly particularity of his non-fictive journalism where the particular better represents the universal so that's why i try to use literary quotes in my sermons i probably overuse it but what are you going to do yeah i don't i don't know i think it's probably a good or it's not even probably it is a good window into the the heart of human nature to I think writers and musicians are um, students and observers of humanity in, in ways that are really powerful. And photographers. <laughs> the, that music, um, there's something wordless about music that that you can't even totally hold um, that that I know that you found find powerful. You've added uh, the the structure of this podcast is, musical mm -hmm. for a reason i know that it's something that drives you um and then literature also uh 
there's the deep sense of human observation that I think it's great that you're pulling from these sources. Yeah, I enjoy making elusive connections, A-L-L-U-S-I-V-E, because there are wider worlds that are accessed if we believe that Jesus is the center of all things. Also, real quick, in the sermon I enjoyed referencing a couple of creeds, the apostles, which we say every week in the Nicene, were being able to like use some creedal language for describing Jesus crucified, having died and was buried, and then rising again on the third day and ascending into heaven. I hope that there were some listeners that when they heard me fall into that creedal language, and maybe not so much because we don't say the Nicene Creed as much when I said very God or very God about Jesus, hopefully there were a couple folks at least that were saying like, hey, that I remember that. that <laughs> Sounds that, familiar. Right. Um, similarly, quoting Christ alone towards the end of the sermon, when on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And that's a good line for a reason, and I figured that I would steal it for the sermon. Okay, moving on to guitar slim, slim pickings. This is the very end. Any leftovers, um, stories behind the sermon? Well, let's say it's the end unless we have an encore, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, but yes, the guitar slim pickings, not too much this week, simply to say that when I went back to listen to the old sermon file, as I reprepared and rewrote the sermon, for this Sunday, it was not only the content that struck me, but also the context. That sermon was given at the old Collingswood Senior Community Center. Right. And it was such a blast from the past to listen to how I preached in that environment. Really, really different from where we are at Holy yeah. Trinity, where the preacher is 10, 20, 30 feet removed from the first row of people. I am sure that I could sharpen that that spatial estimate but at the community center people were less than 10 feet from me because it was just a music stand with folding chairs arrayed very close and you hear the room differently so i hear individual people laughing yeah, during yeah, that yeah, earlier yeah. sermon uh, jt was there he laughed at my jokes right. he thought they were very funny good old jt right and then uh, there was more back and forth with the audience and i i missed that yeah, and yeah. you know once we were gathered under normal circumstances, we're a much bigger church right. now than we were then. So I can't crowdsource different parts of the sermon in the same yeah, way. Yeah, well, your crowd is giving you feedback. You just don't hear it. Or they're in the chat, talking and gathering. And um, hey, chat chat people, you actually, I think that Jim would appreciate feedback on your yeah, feedback during the sermon. Yeah, let me know. We have a chat box for a reason. Yeah, the, uh, the teenagers in my household have a lot of snarky comments that I think, I sometimes think I should be, I should chat this, but then I think, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> live tweeting preacher's kids. As, right. As the the live tweet. Yeah, on. the chat room is a place to live tweet, probably giving him more real-time feedback than your facial expressions or your snoring expressions. Yeah, well, if I don't get it in real time, it's not feedback. It's just feed that will yeah. come back to me later. I'll say, too, and then this relates to the encore in Howlin' Wolves, that if people would like to hear that original sermon from 2015, you can go on our website in vain because it's not there. When we redid our website this past fall, we didn't go back and upload those countless old sermons. We just you went a year or so back. <laughs> right. It's as if they didn't exist unless you rate and leave a review of our podcast that we'd be happy to read here on a future episode. And then we will share with you a secret link to the original sermon. Wait, they exist? They How exist. could it be? 
multiverse. The Da Vinci Sermon. Right. Um, yeah, those that that extra bonus for those people who are rating and reviewing in our encore section, we have Howlin' Wolves notes from listeners. Hey guys, this is our I don't know our third or fourth podcast. Yes. Um, and I am having fun. I enjoy this space where I get to like kind of interrogate Jim and pull pull the mm-hmm. thoughts from his head um, in a way that I haven't before. So it's a fun thing. Um, but really, you know, you probably have listened. If you've listened, you might have just listened out of intrigue. So we're not sure who's going to stick around. Uh, if you are listening to this, you've stuck around. So thank you. Yeah. And let me say that I think for our second episode at the beginning, you used the phrase <laughs> pity downloads, oh, no. <laughs> which was a great phrase full of pathos. And I just want you to know, for my part, listeners, no download is a pity download as far as I'm concerned. And numbers are good. Right. I am a pessimist. You'll grow to learn that about me. Um, and Jim is the eternal optimist, which pity is, which, yeah, makes us a fun couple. <laughs> I'm a fun hang. Um but we do enjoy the feedback just because it gives us a sense of how you're being encouraged, where where your mind is, what what kind of questions do you want us to cover, um, what are the pieces of information that you're finding encouraging, um, are you using this for entertainment and you like the banter, like what is it about this podcast that is keeping you around? We'd love to hear uh, so we can give you more of that. Yeah, Nicole, and I mentioned this before the sermon this past Sunday. As you listen to a sermon, whether it's mine or another person on Sunday, and are then suffused in secularity for six days, hopefully the combination of then of ser- sermon pod of sermon and then podcast would be a way of Christian formation for you, where there is an ongoing dialogue and conversation as the things of God are pressed in. Right, and um, I agree with that. Uh, we also have one Howlin' Wolf baby for, oh, do we? for today. Rich, another college friend, texted and said, he really liked the podcast. It is good. <laughs> Great feedback. Thank you, Rich. Love you it. Um, knocked it out of the park there. That's why we read your, your post. Yes. Um, the other post that I thought that we had, but I'm looking now and I see that we don't have it. Or actually, well, it didn't come through? Yeah. Um, our daughter, our 11-year-old daughter at the end of your sermon was... Uh, giving you a five-star review <laughs> but i think she didn't, didn't figure out how to or send so well that means that she doesn't get the 2015 sermon file yeah no she will be no special treatment in this household she'll be devastated maybe she'll turn it in for next week um <laughs> thank you guys thank you for being here for listening to us how was it that was amazing Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Happy.